Philippians 1, verses 28, 29, and 30. We'll read these three verses and we'll speak from this passage today about suffering because of the gospel. While God does hold us in His arms, He allows us to have a certain amount of suffering in this life according to His dial. And ultimately, the thing that we are suffering for will become the same thing that ends suffering. And that's the ultimate arms of God care that we know of. Suffering because of the gospel. Here we go, Philippians 1, 28 to 30. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which He saw in me, and now here to be in me. In Pakistan, there was a man named um, Baba Qadar, and this is about 10 years ago. Um, I read this from Voice of the Martyrs magazine. It's a magazine that reports Christian martyrdom around the world and suffering. In Pakistan in 2009, when a radical Muslim mob came through a village that that had a lot of Christians in it, they, many of the Christian families ran and fled for fear. I'm going to read this, but this man, this 86-year-old believer, this man named Baba Qadar stayed. He couldn't run. He couldn't even walk. His village is being plundered. He stays. The mob of Muslim people found him lying outside on his bed outside of his house. Here's what Mr. Kadar said to, re- to the Voice of the Martyrs report. He said, My family wanted, me to, wanted to take me with them, but I could not run. I forced them to run for safety. I told them, Go, I will remain here. About 20 or 30 of the attra- attackers surrounded my bed. One of them shouted at me, You are old, so it is better that you accept the true religion. We will not beat you if you say the Kalma. The Kalma is the Muslim Confession of Faith. He he said, I said, no, I will not say this. Burn me or kill me or do whatever you like. I have said my kalma, and it is Jesus Christ. He's my confession of faith. Then they beat me with their weapons, their pistols, rifles, and big sticks. They kicked me. Lying on the ground, I looked up at them, and I said, how can you kill me? The master of life is only one, and that is Jesus Christ. Only he can give or take life. So do whatever you like, because I know that it is God alone who can take my life. A group of those men picked him up off of his bed. They threw him onto a thorn bush 20 feet away. Then one of them said, well, if you say the Kalma, Muslim confession of faith, and accept the Muslim faith, we will take you off of this bush. And they began to walk away from him. As they walked away from him, this 86-year-old man said, kill me, burn me. I will not say the Muslim oath. Furious, they went back to the bush. They dragged him across the yard to a hole in the ground and threw him in the hole where dogs sleep. While beating him, they pushed him headfirst and deep into the hole. 
left them alone. Then after a while, he said, quote, I pushed myself a little bit out of the hole, just enough to breathe. I could not move back to my bed. <clears throat> Although my eyesight is poor, I could see that there was fire all around me. My own house was burning. I prayed in my heart, Oh God, you are so great. Please help my family and the villagers that they will be saved. Then in the morning, his son, Baba's son, came back secretly to the village and placed him back on his bed outside of his burnt house. But the fanatics who were still in the village saw his son and chased him away. Baba lay on his bed and still harassed by the persecutors for three days. Then finally his daughter came with one of the police with her to take him away to another village, to her village. Baba, this man, tells Voice of the Martyrs that his favorite verse is Matthew 10, 28 to 31. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and not one of them shall, and one of them shall not be fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. That was his favorite verse. <clears throat> what I just described to you was the, the concept that Paul is teaching here in Philippians chapter 1. And that is this. <clears throat> the gospel is the reason for much martyrdom and conflict. The gospel is the reason for, su for, for some suffering on earth and martyrdoms and fights. The gospel is the reason. You know, Jesus said, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Well, then how come it says, peace be unto you, it says in the Bible, when they was born? It's because Jesus is God's offer of peace. And if you receive him, you have peace first with God. God's not your enemy anymore, and that's your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't the people around you, it's God. So if you accept Jesus, like a, like a base going into acid, it's neutralized. You have peace with God now. Jesus came to give us peace with God and then peace in our hearts by, as we rely on Him and trust Him and are in tune with Him, we find that peace in our hearts. Earthly peace is going to come and go. We should try to be peacemakers. Jesus said it's a blessing to, by the peacemakers. We should try to do that. But we'll never have full world peace until He comes back and establishes it. Not the full stuff. Not the full stuff. So Jesus here came and His gospel is here and Paul teaches, what is it? let's just look at the text. <clears throat> Verse 29 in particular, unto you, there, unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. In the first century, this, who this was first written to, and it's by extension still applies to us, first century Christians were a problem to the pagan culture. You know why? They were the only ones that aren't bowing down to idols. They wouldn't bow to idols. Jews wouldn't either. They wouldn't worship their politician, the emperor. That was a problem. They got persecuted for that. First century Christians also, because they believed the gospel, were persecuted because they didn't engage, by and large, Paul had to help keep this in line, in immorality. 
All right, we're not going to those immoral temples anymore. We're going to flee fornication. First century Christians were persecuted, just like this man, this man, just only a few years ago, who represents probably millions of others. First century Christians were persecuted because, you know why else? Not because merely they said Jesus, but they said Jesus only. Jesus only. <clears throat> the gospel is a sword. It presents a sword, and that can be a conflict. The gospel confronts man's pride. To accept the gospel and accept the, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the saving message, it requires the removal of pride and humbling, humbly accepting Him as their Savior. But we celebrate pride in all sorts of ways, so it's a conflict right now. The gospel The gospel confronts sin. This means nothing. Oh, foolishness of the cross. Who cares about this guy? Oh, he's a lucky charm. He's a nice, he's a sad martyr. This is foolishness to most people. Until their sin is revealed, which is uncomfortable, like personal sin, like somebody, some preacher, or some Bible verse, or some Bible message exposes a guy that's in church that's de- steeped in pornography and has a secret, secret gambling problem or is stealing from his work, and then, oh, man, he gets convicted by thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie. Oh, and he's convicted. Oh, man, I don't like that. Oh, you're convicting me. Well, that's what Jesus came here for, because you should be here, but he went there to to die for your sins and your crimes against God. Oh, now this makes sense. All right, I'll believe on him. The gospel confronts man's sin. That can be can cause a conflict. That doesn't mean we cease from giving it, though. It can cause a conflict. The gospel calls for repentance, a change of mind. Today, in this, especially in this American day and age, <clears throat> the gospel goes against what we would call the ecumenical spirit. You know what the ecumenical spirit is? The ecumenical spirit says, basically, here's what ecumenical is. It's a platform with every religious-looking leader on it, all going, you know, the, the Hindu, the Muslim, the Catholic, the so-called Protestant, the some other wing of Protestant, the, the Mormon, the... And I'm not saying that they all, everyone does this, but they try to sample every world religion and get them somewhere on a platform or some conference or some and celebrate that we're all the same. All of our paths lead to the same place and Act, some of them are acting like they agree with it. But, you know, a lot of the world, just like, oh, see, look at that. We need to all band together. But then there's the other Bible believer that says, no, they can't. Things that are different aren't the same. They can't all be leading to the same place when they all have a different directive message. And Jesus only. If we say Jesus only, if we say Jesus only like what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He made it an only deal. If we say what he said, it goes against the ecumenical spirit of the day. The spirit that says all the religions are basically the same. They're all just all leading the same place. No, they all might be teaching some good morality. That's true to this extent. But they're not all telling us the same path to God. They're not. If we say they are, If we say that, we're not honest. 
Even if we were atheists, we can't say. Even if we say, I don't believe any of these religions, if we were to come into that way and say, they're saying one thing, they're saying one thing, that Christian religion's definitely saying something else. We can't even be honest and say that they're all going the same direction, even as an honest atheist. Well, Christianity definitely says Jesus only. Well, that causes conflict. That causes conflict. How do I deal with this reality? This is what Paul's bringing up. Now, here we are, American Christians, in this 20, what are we, 2021, and we're reading about persecution. We're like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> but maybe we need to learn something to, to brace ourselves and to be ready to be thoroughly equipped for something. Paul teaches us that, Paul shows us that we have to realize that the gospel is often, if we just live, okay, look, let me stage it this way. If you live normal Christianity, the gospel will become a point of conflict. We have to realize that. So how do we deal with that? How, what can I, how can I deal with that fact? Here's some truths, here's some, set, I got seven insights here from the scripture. How do I deal with the uh, the idea of gospel conflict in my life now or potentially in the future. Here's the first point of insight we need to consider when we think of conflict because of my Christianity. Number one, first of all, consider your point of suffering. Is it really the gospel? You know, <clears throat> my kids and I, earlier in the year, we went to Woods Canyon Lake and we went also a couple weeks ago. We went to Woods Canyon Lake, I think, last spring or something. And uh, on our way back, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to a Mexican food restaurant on our way into Mesa, on our way into the valley. North Mesa, we're going to find one. Oh, Serrano's, that's where we're going to go, right there, right off Gilbert Road, I think. So we're coming down the B line, come off 87. No, we take off, uh, we go on uh, Gilbert Road because it connects there. Get on there, we're like, yes, we're going to. We, didn't, we weren't on Gilbert Road yet. We were going through kind of past Mountain Hills, but our plan was to get to that Serrano's. Mexican food, yay! Had the four boys, had Charity, had Susie with us. We're in the minivan. We're driving. They're like, yeah, my boy's like, yeah, we're going to go have a Mexican food restaurant. Yay! You know, they're all excited about it. And I'm driving down. I'm driving the, <clears throat> the 87 there. And the lights behind me. A police officer. Highway patrol. I don't know which one. He was sheriff, whatever. And I'm like... And so all the kids are like, yeah, we're going to go have some Mexican food. We only, we, only, they knew we only had so much time, you know. And so, uh, oh, I got to get pulled. I'm getting pulled over by a speed, and I can't remember exactly what that one was. I guess that's about all it could have been, right? Uh, but I was speeding. And as I'm pulling over, one of the boys is like, oh, man, now we're just only going to have time for Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, dad, now we're... And they thought, this is, this is, we're suffering. This is throwing everything off, man. We can't go to the restaurant. We're going to have to drive through Taco Bell, you know. And I got pulled over, and it was fine. He just gave me a warning, and uh, it was quick. And we got going, and we got to go to this Mexican food restaurant anyways. So. But, you know, listen, this is honest truth. Sometimes we suffer for things it's not at all related to the gospel. Not at all. Oh, I'm having such a hard time. Oh, it's suffering for Jesus. 
Let me, let's describe four points of suffering that are common, four common points of suffering. And you need to discern them in your life. Number one, you know what? You have relational suffering. You know what? Christian or non-Christian, you're going to have a hard time in life because of other people like you. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you're just going to have hard days. Because you know why? There's none righteous. No, not one. You're going to find out, man, that guy's just not doing right. Yeah, and it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And then he's going to say the same thing next thing about you. Man, that guy's just it's hard to deal with. He's just not always do right. He doesn't always do right, and it's just difficult. There's some, some sparks between us here. It's just like a, that is sparks of, 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 of a, a friction, and, and you're going to find that. You know why? Because we're just rubbing shoulders with other sinners. We're going to have conflict because we're all sinners. All right? Here, another, another area or type of, a type of suffering is criminal suffering. Again, Christian or non-Christian, you're going to have hard times in life because you committed a crime. Whether it was speeding on the 87 or getting a red light over here at one of, these, one of the intersections or you didn't pay your taxes on time and now you've got a fine or you do something major. <clears throat> and then the judge gives you a fine because you sped or a fine because you're late on your taxes or puts you in jail because you committed some criminal act and you feel a sting, and you feel a pain, and you have to disrupt the normal rhythm of your life, and it's uncomfortable. Again, whether it's a murderer, a thief, or somebody speeding, oh, it's discomfort. Why? Because of a crime, and justice is coming down and making its voice known to you. And it's conflict, and it's suffering, and it's not fun. That happens to us all. Okay, and then here's another point of suffering that's unrelated to the gospel. Relational is usually unrelated. Criminal, natural, here's the third there, natural sufferings. Because I'm in a body right now that's sinful, and nobody, if nobody else bothered me for the rest of my life, I'm going to have some kind of suffering. Did you know that? <clears throat> I might get a disease. I might get cancer. I'm definitely going to get old and die, and I'm going to, there's, there's going to be an element of suffering because I'm in a body, a decaying earth suit. And if, by the way, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He's going to get you a new one. After He redeems your soul, He'll give you a new one later. But because I'm in a natural sinful body, I'm going to suffer. And also, here's another aspect of natural suffering. It's in the body. It's also just in nature. Because there's storms and dust storms and hurricanes, and it produces suffering, whether it was in a Christian nation or an atheist nation. There's points of suffering all around the world that are different, set out, separate from the gospel that we just have to manage and deal with. Do you know the Bible says the whole creation groans and travails together and paints on us? Everything is like, oh, man, I can't. It's like the earth saying, man, I can't wait till a new earth, you know? The whole creation, Romans 8.22, groaneth and travaileth together in pain until now. But the one we want to narrow it down is gospel suffering. Am I suffering, which can show up through a maybe becomes a crime later or is a relational problem. But gospel, am I suffering because I'm preaching the gospel or I'm living a gospel-type life? Ah, that's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. 
discern it. Am I, if we ever have a, a problem, discern, am I, am I um, having some discomfort because I'm saying I'm a Christian? That day's coming. I think the day's here, really, but it's going to get more intense. Number two, here's the next thing. All right, insights about gospel suffering, discern your sufferings. Number two, this is what Paul says, and it's easy to say this, but we have to at least say it because he tells us. He teaches us, number two, refuse to be terrified. In nothing terrified by your adversaries. Look at verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Here's what that means. It's a word picture. Have you ever seen... Here, the word picture is a group of horses in a place. And let's say the noise is a gunshot. If you have a group of horses and somebody fires a gun, what do you think the horses are going to do? Right? They're going to go like that, if not run. Even on, Don't they even do that in the horse races? They do a, a loud bang or something. I don't watch the Kentucky Derby or something. They do something to startle them like that. that. That's the word picture of terrified is a word picture of an unexpected sound that startles me. And it, and it um, disturbs me. So Paul used, that was a word picture in the Greek that they had. Paul says, don't be startled that all of a sudden this guy's yelling in your face because you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that, you know, maybe it might not hurt your feelings to some extent, but it's like, don't be surprised that he's doing that. That's what he's saying. Expect I remember watching Kobe Bryant one time. He was, he was in an out-of-bounds. He was covering a guy in an out-of-bounds play. The guy was going to throw the ball in like this. Kobe Bryant was going like, I think he was going like this, but he was standing in front of the guy. And the guy, already had, the guy that was passing the ball and didn't like Kobe Bryant, he had some kind of issue with him. And I'm not endorsing all of Kobe Bryant's life. There's some problems with it. Um, previously, but um, the guy was going to throw the pass in. As the guy was going to throw the pass into one of the he went like this to Kobe, like that to Kobe Bryant's face to like, I'm going to throw it at your face. But he didn't. He just wanted to intimidate him, you know, startle him. And Kobe Bryant just looked like that. Didn't even flinch. You can pull it up. Not now. You can pull it up. Um, he didn't even flinch at this guy trying to expecting he would flinch, intimidating he was being a punk. You know, there's a lot of punks out there that want to intimidate us. We, if it's that we should expect there to be punks that want to... The, the idea is that expect punks that want to intimidate you. That's what Paul's trying to teach the church and us today. He says refuse to be terrified. Boy, that's easy to say, but I know we have to do it. You know, it's a common tendency, though. It's, it is natural for us to be upset or afraid or terrified. Look in Isaiah. I'm going to read Isaiah, a couple verses there, 51, 7, and 12. Isaiah 51, 7. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the, the people in whose heart is my law. That's Isaiah 51, verse 7. The middle of the verse says, Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. And then verse 12, what does the Lord say? I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man which shall be made as grass? 
Again, this man Baba Qadar, this Pakistani who was intimidated by the Muslims, said his favorite passage, his favorite verse was Matthew 10, Fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is, I know that's the right counsel. I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> but I know that's the right thing. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying the gospel causes affliction. Make sure we discern what kind of affliction you have. That's number one. Number two, refuse to be terrified. And then Paul's teaching number three is this. Learn from the evidence. Examine the evidence in this whole scenario. Here's what we mean. <clears throat> he says there's a token. Token means an evidence, a, a, a uh, it's a representation of something. Look at verse 28. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is, A, to them an evident token of perdition, but B, to you that of, of salvation and that of God. What is he saying there? He's saying if a person is suffering uh, a persecution, a conflict because of the gospel, it shows two things. It, it shows evidence of two things. It's a token of two things. The first thing, letter A, it's a token of perdition. That is, it shows that whoever this person is who's trying to terrorize me and other Christians, that is a token that they are a future occupant of hell. How dare you say that, Pastor? No, that's what Paul said. It's an evident token of perdition. Who would do that? What Christian, what professing Christian groups, even though they hold up crosses and do ceremonies, would ever kill other Christians? A Christian group that's really hell-bound. That's what, who would? That's an evident token of perdition. Did you know when we talk about crusades and stuff, the Roman Catholic Church did crusades, they were killing people. That's not what Christians do. As an institution like that, Paul says there's an evident token of perdition. It's future. It's an evidence of their future damnation. I was concerned there was this one guy on the radio, and he's still on the radio, and he harasses people who don't get vaccinated. And I don't care if you're vaccinated. I'm not going to make an issue of that today. When he harasses people, he calls himself a Christian, and he goes to this, um, this giant kind of mega church, franchise-type church. And he, but but he, he constantly has like this attitude against people that I know are, are like, Genuine Christians, like one a few years back when Mike Huckabee ran for president, who was a, who is a Christian, and I think he was even a pastor at one point. Uh, this talk show host, who's on local radio, says, "I hate Mike Huckabee," over and over. I hate him. And I remember when he said it, it was in the context of Mike Huckabee expressing his faith. And I thought, how can you say that when you are professing in yourself? I thought that is a bad sign to me, bud. You know why? Because of the judgment, because of the, the statement of John in 1 John 3, verse 15, he says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the idea is this. Paul says, all right, so you're suffering for the gospel. And again, I know for us today, a lot of that's conceptual. But here we are. Paul says, if you're suffering, it's going to be an evident token of that person. The person who's doing that is, you should feel sad for them. They're on their way to hell. It's an evident token of their perdition. But to you, it's a token of salvation. It's, a, it's an evidence of that you are one of that you are saved, that you're one of God's own. It says, <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, I'll read it. 
It is a faithful saying, if we, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. It is a token of my salvation. It's not that God says, I don't love you anymore, so I'm going to let people, I'm going to let unbelievers pick on you for being a believer. Did you know that, that it means that God has counted you worthy to encounter similar sufferings as Jesus Christ? That's a hard concept to grab, isn't it? Well, that leads us to the next point. Paul teaches this. Look at this next point. He says, for unto you is given. Look at back in Philippians 1. Unto you is given, verse 29, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, verse 29, but also to suffer for His sake. Whoa. So here's Paul's point of counsel also, is accept it as a gift. Paul's teaching the church, hey, if you get harassed, if you have adversaries that are trying to be adversarial, they're trying to terrorize you, you have conflict, have a little suffering, it's a given. It's given to you. It's a, you know the word there is gift? We say the word charismatic, guys, very gifted. It's that same word. Unto you is given. It's gifted to suffer for His sake. Wow. In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Acts 5.41. I'm going to read it. If you want to turn there, you can. Listen to, how, look, listen to how the first century church was. Acts 5.41. I think this was Peter, um, a few of the other apostles. They got harassed by the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was kind of like their, a governing group. And Peter, being a Christian, and the other apostles were harassed by them. And it says in there, uh, chapter 5, verse, middle of verse 40, it says, um, they had called the apostles and beaten them. Oh, man, those apostles got beat. And then they commanded the apostles that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And verse 41, look how, what the response is. They just got beat. And they just got told they better not teach and preach in the name of Jesus. And look how they respond, verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, that is the Jewish council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Are these guys out of their mind? They go and they have to deal with the Jewish Sanhedrin. It's like, what are you guys doing preaching and teaching this stuff everywhere? Peter's like, we ought to be a God rather than a man. Jesus told us to do this. By the way, you guys are the ones who crucified Him too. He was your Savior. And they're like, what do we do with these guys? And then Camelio had some advice. And they're like, all right, we're just going to beat you guys. They beat him up, whatever. They whipped him. All right, now leave and don't teach and preach in his name anymore. They threatened him. And they're like, yes, yay. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a strange concept to the American Christian. What a strange concept. I'm trying to think if this would happen to me, am I supposed to call my lawyer or not? Should I be like, no, I'm not calling you. This is great. What do I do? These guys suffered. Why did they say that? Here's why they said it. Because they heard Jesus' counsel. Look in Matthew 5. Why were they acted? They're not out of their mind. They're following the words of Jesus in the famous Beatitudes. 
Read these three verses. I'll, I'll read them. Just follow along. Matthew 5, 10, 11, 12. This is why they did what they did. They weren't insane. Jesus told them and taught them, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Remember that, not criminal's sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's why they did that. They're following what Jesus said. Oh, my goodness. This is he said, look, if you get persecuted for righteousness' sake, that's a blessing. You get persecuted, maligned, evil spoken of for my sake, oh, rejoice and be exceeding glad. You're in a good company, the company of apostles, the company of prophets, which were before you. Man, this is so foreign, isn't it? But this is back in, this is Bible value here. This is Bible blessings. Wow. Paul, again, back in Philippians 1, he says, all right, folks, Philippians, live the gospel lifestyle, strive together to preach the gospel as a church, and don't be startled, don't be terrified by your adversaries. It's just a token of their perdition. It's a token of your salvation. And he says, unto you it is given. It's a gift. It is given. You've been given the blessing, not only to believe on him, but you've been given the blessing to suffer for His sake. You know, it's interesting. My thought came to me, am I not worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake? No, I'm not saying am I not worthy. I'm worthy of heaven only because I've trusted Jesus Christ. I'm worthy of heaven on His merit. But as a Christian right now, am I not worthy? And I, This is strange to let it come out of my mouth. But am I not worthy of suffering? See, so accept it as a gift. A few more points here as Paul's teaching. We should see it, set, number five, it's another thought, is see it as a relationship issue, not a religious issue. The suffering is because of your relationship, not because of a religion. Paul says, unto you is given on the behalf of Baptists. No. The behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for his sake. Who would we suffer for? A guy would say, I'd suffer for my wife. All right, do the dishes when you get home then. You know. I'd suffer for my mom and dad. Okay, go mow the lawn when you get home. <clears throat> We'd suffer for loved ones, wouldn't we? Would we suffer for him? Would we suffer for him? That's a simple question, isn't it? Unto you, it's given. Not only to believe on him, it's also given to suffer for his sake. I read about this 15-year-old boy in Indonesia. Indonesia is dominated by Muslims very, very much. 15-year-old <clears throat> boy, Roy Pon Ponta is his name. He was one of 150 other Christian members of the church, uh, Bethel Church here in India. He was attending a retreat, and this was a few years ago, when at their Christian retreat, a Muslim mob attacked them. They came upon Roy, this 15-year-old boy, and they said, Are you a Christian? He was armed only with a Bible. And he 
bravely replied, I am a soldier of Christ. The attacker then cut Roy's hands with a sword and asked him again, are you a Christian? Once again, Roy bravely replied, I am a soldier of Christ. Finally, the angry Muslim stabbed Roy in the stomach and killed him. The, the point there is that he's saying, he didn't say, I go to this church or I, I uh, whatever. He says, I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. He's connecting himself to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier of Christ. I belong to him. And he died on the basis of a relationship. It's not so much the religion thing. Paul says it's given to us. Realize, number six, two more points here. Here we are trying to get some insight on Christian suffering. Number six, realize that you're in good company if you're suffering for the gospel. Paul says, unto you is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. What's the last verse? Having the same conflict that you saw in me, and now here to be in me. In other words, Paul says, hey, Philippians, if you suffer, I did too. Now we got a little fellowship going on here. We're in the same group. We can relate with each other next time we get together for Greek coffee or something. We can relate. You got the conflict too? They, they tried to kill you? Yeah, they tried to kill me too. Did you get stoned yet with rocks? Oh, man, that's a hard one, man. You know, did you get shipwrecked, beat over the head? You know, Paul says, if you have that, I've had that too. The, the whole the point is, is if I suffer for the gospel, it's like I'm in good company of in the greater in the greater view of Christianity, Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, um, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Hey, man, now you can be in the prophets' fellowship. I wonder if there's going to be a fellowship in heaven. You ever think about that in heaven? What if, and we don't know some of this stuff, but what if God says, All right, let's have the martyrs' fellowship. The, suffer, the those who suffered for me and were martyred. Like, oh, man, I've got to go over here with the soft American Christians. Sorry, guys. Man, I love you guys. Give me an autograph, you know. You'd have this other fellowship of people of all sorts, men, women, boys and girls, mothers, fathers, preachers, non-preachers who've suffered for the gospel, and they're all in good company. And, and here we are, the soft Americans over here, thinking that we are running the world and we are the best and the most elite. We had the pinnacle type of Christianity. We had the best buildings, the best everything, the best audiovisual. No! That's nothing. This is where it's at. Suffering even for the unto death. And again, this stuff's easy to say, but we know this is what the Bible's teaching, isn't it? Wow. The ultimate type of Christianity is not the type that maybe we're staging as Americans. That's not. That's not the ultimate type of Christianity. The ultimate type of Christianity is simple and dedicated and even bloodshedding. That's what Paul's teaching. It's given to you. Having the same conflict, you get that? I had it too. You know what Paul says? Even Paul, he says, when I suffer, he says this in chapter 3, when I suffer, you know what he says? Oh, yes, I get to know the fellowship of his sufferings. It helps me connect more with Jesus. That's what it was like with you, Jesus? Yeah, that's what it was like with me. Oh, you were, you were stabbed? Yes, I was stabbed. You were, had your beard plucked out? Yes, I had my beard plucked And he says it's a fellowship of Jesus' sufferings when Paul suffers for Jesus. He feels closer to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's the Bible there. 
Paul, some of them, quickly, some of the apostles, I'll make quick little descriptions. Remember the 12 apostles, and then, of course, Judas hung himself, and they replaced him with Matthias. And Here's a sample of some how, how some of the apostles died. Mark was dragged through the streets of Alexandria, Egypt, and it wasn't a stunt like on a, you know, a movie. He was dragged through the streets of Alexandria, Egypt, until he died. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was scourged and tied to a cross where he preached for two days before he died. Thomas had a lance run through his body. Peter was crucified upside down. He was put upside down by request. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up. They saw it as a gift. They did it, and now they're in good company. Here's the last point here. So here we are. We're talking about suffering for the gospel. Have you even believed the gospel? Have you even believed personally in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Come to a point and moment in time where you say, all right, I get it. Now I want to receive it. And I accept you, Jesus Christ, be my Savior, I believe on you. If you have come to a point of faith like that, where you accept, you believe everything he did for you, dying, rising from the dead, it's for your sins, and you make that known with a confession of your mouth, believe on him in your heart. The moment you do that, whether it's in a church building or by yourself in a car or in an apartment or anywhere, the moment you accept him in sincerity, you're saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Instantly you're saved. You become his. And at that moment, we realize this last point, that though suffering comes because of the gospel, an end of suffering is this end. There's an end of suffering and an end of death also because of the gospel. An end of suffering and an end of death because of the gospel. Paul said in chapter 1, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, that's gain. Why? Because he's a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's my problem today? After hearing this message, I kind of forgot what it was. Let me tell you about polycarp here, and we'll wind this down. Some of you have heard of polycarp. It's not a type of fish in the canal. He's a man, first century Christian, actually second century They say he was a disciple of the Apostle John. So Jesus had his 12 disciples. One of them was John. John was probably the youngest, died at the end of the first century. And they'd say John had had a disciple named Polycarp. And Polycarp had some disciples too. Polycarp was likely a disciple of the Apostle John. Polycarp has a famous, uh, there's a famous uh, death. His death was famous in Christianity. On February 3rd, AD 155, a Roman military officer publicly demanded that Polycarp, the, age, the disciple of John and aged pastor of the church of Smyrna, he demanded that, they, that he renounce Jesus Christ. The old pastor's famous reply has been echoed through history. Quote, 80 and six years have I served him. 
and he has done me no wrong. How can I revile the king that saved me? They replied back to him, We're going to throw you to the beasts. Polycarp told him, Bring it on. Then we'll have you burned, they said. Polycarp replied, You try to frighten me with a fire that lasts for only an hour and you forget about the fire that never goes out. And an hour later they did burn him. His body went to ashes and his soul went to heaven. That's the kind of Christianity that we need to be reminded of, isn't it? That's the original stuff. Suffering for the gospel. So the, the gospel is this. I mean, here we are, our church, we're a Baptist church, we do a lot of other stuff, we do things. But the center piece of what we are is that message in Jesus and living for Him. So if we find that, man, we're having problems because of that, that's normal. And maybe we won't have an ideal path. But if we, have, if we are faithful to Him and His gospel, it'll be exactly what He wants. Faithful to His gospel, suffering for His gospel. Am I willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Or even, <clears throat> we talked about the fact that suffering now for many Christians, by the way, I didn't even say this, all over the world, especially in the, um, this section of the world, right here, I think they call it the 1040 window, lots of Christians dying. It's not easy being a Christian in North Korea. There are some there, or in China, or in Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, certain places in India. Definitely here, uh, girls being taken in, into the Boko Haram groups. All over, <clears throat> there's p- p- Christians dying. And a lot of them are, are thinking, well, I'm suffering now, and I'll die, but I'll live forever. But, and it, it'll end, and I'll have, be forever with the Lord. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, for anybody listening today, if you die, is your suffering actually going to end? Is it really going to end? And anybody watching? Or is it, is it going to get worse because you die outside of Christ? And if you die outside of Christ, the suffering is really just beginning in hell. And that's why we say, Flee to the cross, cast yourself on Jesus Christ. I say the cross in the sense of Jesus, not uh, the object here. Go to Jesus Christ. Make sure you've trusted him as your Savior. 